Uh, hey guys, just a note uh, for today's show. Um, there's points where we might refer to earlier in the episode, um, but we actually end up splitting uh, this conversation into two parts. So uh, we may be referring to our September 11th episode um, that was part one on uh, feeding infants. Uh, so if you uh, uh, want to listen back, uh, feel free to listen back to the September 11th episode. So do you want to tell us about... Yeah, I'll tell you my story. So we're at 56 minutes. Already? So, yeah. <laughs> Holy crap. We thought this was going to be our worst episode. We're all like, I don't think this. And I haven't even started my shit. Yeah. Yeah. So Emily, can you um, share with us uh, your story with uh, Feeding Charlie? Yeah. So my story is long. I mean, she's 14 months old. So of course mine is long. Um, okay. So... Back to what we were talking about earlier, babyfriendlyusa.org. So there are specific hospitals throughout the United States that are quote-unquote baby-friendly hospitals. Um, And this initiative, I believe, is new. uh, new New-ish. New-ish, I would say, maybe in the last, like, 10 years or so. Maybe even less than that. But anyway, so the hospital that I delivered at Um, was one of these baby-friendly hospitals. And going into it, I was like, ooh, this is nice because everything I had on my birth plan, my quote-unquote birth plan that I never ended up writing, um, was on there. So I wanted things like, um, I wanted skin, I wanted immediate skin-to-skin. That's part of it. I wanted um, delayed cord clamping. That's part of it. I wanted, um, actually, that was the two. And I wanted an epidural. They knew that. Um, So the idea behind this baby-friendly initiative is to set a woman up for the greatest success for breastfeeding. So they do something called the golden hour, where um, for a whole hour after Charlie was born, other than like cutting the umbilical cord and like basic wiping down, she did not come off my chest. Oh, I wish I had that. Yeah, I know. I'm like, I'm going to request it for the next one. It was so nice. Like they didn't do, they didn't take her away to weigh her. They didn't do finger, fingers and toes prints. They didn't do like, they put the goop on her eyes. Cause you have to do that for a certain, like a certain time period. Um, but other than that, she was just on me for a good hour. <laughs> and I know it was actually really kind of nice, but the whole theory behind that is the skin to skin contact will start releasing that serotonin in the mother's brain, which will then start um, the whole production of breast milk. Mm. Um, So they did that. And then I'm just going to quickly read through the quote unquote, 10 steps to successful breastfeeding by baby friendly USA. So number one, have a written breastfeeding policy. Okay. Number two, train all healthcare staff with the skills necessary to implement this policy. Okay. Number three, inform all pregnant women about the benefits and management of breastfeeding. They did do that. Number four, help mother help mothers initiate breastfeeding within one hour of birth. <laughs> they kind of did that. Full touch. Five, show mothers how to breastfeed and how to maintain lactation, even if they're separate from their infants. 100% did not show me that. Number six, give infants no food or drink other than breast milk unless medically indicated. Okay, we'll get into that. Um, Practicing rooming in, like you mentioned, so allowing mothers and infants to remain together. There's no nursery time anymore. Eight, encouraging breastfeeding on demand. Nine, no pacifiers or artificial nipples Mm. to breastfeed infants. So that is why I never received a nipple shield. Mm -hmm. And 10, foster the establishment of breastfeeding support and refer mothers to birthing centers or outside uh, breastfeeding support. Okay. So here's my story. And I don't even remember her name. So I should give her some ran. Oh, I do remember her name. Uh, we're going to call her. Uh, 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 fuck. Uh, for some reason, I, like Karen and Susan are coming into my brain. And those are mother's names. <laughs> <laughs> so we're not going to use those names. <laughs> Let's call her Mary. Mary. Okay. Her name is Mary. I'm going to write it down. Mary. Okay. So anyway. Uh, yeah, I had the initial skin to skin and I had a very long labor. If you listen to our last podcast and, uh, I was swollen to all hell. So like 
their my nipples were just not cooperating like Charlie could not latch and they even told me that babies at 37 weeks are less likely to latch because they're smaller and they're less developed mentally so the sucking uh coordination may not be there so we already have two things right off the bat that are just like okay great um so I wasn't producing she wasn't latching and they kept telling me oh we'll bring in a lactation consultant we'll bring in a lactation consultant I never saw a lactation consultant in the hospital. Um, as many as often as they said, oh, we'll we'll bring one in. At your baby friendly hospital. Yes. I never saw a lactation consultant. Wow. Not one. I literally continuously just had nurses coming in, sh- grabbing my boob and shoving it in Charlie's mouth and like massaging my boob and being like, this is how you do it. This is how you do it. And I'm just like, obviously this isn't working. Like. You guys keep doing these things and nothing's happening. So I had one nurse who was great. She came in, she told me, um, she showed me how to hand express. So I was able to get a little bit of colostrum out. So I was able to give Charlie that. But that was it. Like the whole time, we were in the hospital for three days. So that was it. So she was not a happy camper. Um, And they don't provide formula at baby friendly hospitals and we did not bring formula yeah whatever little classroom i could hand express that's what she would get and it was not much so she if you you may have just heard her scream i'm sorry (laughs) um she was not getting anything so she was very upset all the time so luckily we packed pacifiers so we ended up giving her a pacifier and it helped soothe her and she was able to sleep. And I remember a nurse coming in and seeing her with a pacifier and said, well, that's out the door. And I was just like, oh, were we not supposed to do that? And she's like, well, no, it's fine, but, you know, it can mess with, it can cause nipple confusion and we're not supposed to provide you with pacifiers. Well, how about how she hasn't eaten and it's th- almost approaching three days? That's not a concern? Uh-oh, nipple confusion, but basic mm-hmm. nutrition and being fed. Yeah. No, because they just kept coming in and shoving my boob in her mouth. Why didn't they suggest pumping and uh uh dropper feeding? Because that's what we did. Why didn't they do that with you? So eventually they did. Eventually. However, um, well, we lived live an hour and a half away from the hospital. So the nurse that we'll call Mary. Um, sorry, Mary. Oh my God. I have a nurse friend named Mary. Sorry, Mary. Um, she (laughs) said, we will let you use our pump and our pump parts. However, sometimes insurance doesn't cover that, which I don't know is true or not, but that's what Mary said. So then she deters you financially from, and you don't know what are you going to call your insurance company and sit on hold for 45 minutes? You know what I mean? Just give me the breast pump. Yeah. Or she said, or you can run home and you can grab your breast pump. And I was like, well, we live an hour and a half away. So that's not an option at all. And I'm not going to go to Walmart and buy one. No. So anyway, and the reason I feel like if this option was brought to us, maybe one day in, we would have been more likely to take it and been like, fuck it. I'll pay it. I don't care. This was given to us 45 minutes before discharge. So, yeah, I wanted to get home. I had a breast pump at home. So why am I going to? Anyway, so, okay. Oh, my God. Uh, Yeah, she's getting what little colostrum that I'm producing and that she's able to get. So she's a fuss pot. I don't blame her. Poor girl. Um, So anyway, we get cleared by the peds. I get cleared by my OB. And um, we're in the process of getting discharged and going home. And Mary comes in the room and she says that she will discharge me. However, she will not discharge Charlie because she has never once seen Charlie successfully latch. Mind you, you haven't been in here helping me, nor have you sent in this quote unquote lactation consultant that is roaming the floor. Where the fuck was that going say? Like, no, there was no lactation consultant roaming the floor because she never came to our room. So anyway, Mary wasn't going to discharge Charlie. She was going to discharge me. And I am exhausted. And Mike was dealing with family at this point. So he didn't hear this scenario. I just said, okay, whatever. 
And he comes back in the room and I tell him what's going on. And he got livid. He got so mad (laughs) and got Mary into the room and was like, we know she can suck. She's sucking on this pacifier. She's whatever little classroom she's getting. She's sucking it through the syringe. Like we know she can do it. Um, We just want to go home. And she's like, no, because I know babies who get released and then they failure to thrive. And there's all these blah, 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 blah. Okay, Mary. So then Mike gets the charge nurse and he says, I need to see your supervisor. And the charge nurse comes in and she also comments and actually sides with us. And Mary keeps getting more and more upset because she's not siding with her. And eventually Mike's like, get us formula. I'm done. Get us formula. I know it's in this hospital. Get us formula. And they went to their whatever, their stash, came back with some Infamil, sucked it down. Two ounces. No problem. Bam. Like. She was starving, starving. I felt terrible. So on top of me not being able to do this, there's all this guilt about, well, there's this continuous growing guilt that I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. And my baby is starving and crying and there's nothing I can do to console her. And these people won't give me the tools that they have, like IE formula to feed my baby. And they're just... No, breastfeeding, breastfeeding, breastfeeding. You see that I'm in distress, my daughter's in distress, and you're throwing it completely out of the window because of your stupid baby-friendly initiative. Yeah, and I just, it's hardly baby-friendly to not feed feed a baby for three days. That's hardly baby-friendly, except for a little bit of colostrum. Like, obviously, you know, rhetorically, it's interesting that the baby friendly initiative isn't necessarily mom friendly. It seems no, uh, certainly not. If you, if you have any kind of different experience outside of what they want moms to experience, it's not friendly, but even in this scenario, this is not baby friendly denying a baby nourishment, um, because you are, um, so wedded to breast is best logic. Correct. Um, that's really, that's really makes me sad. And it was, and it was 100, it was on the walls. Like when you walked in the labor and delivery floor, they have this big thing on the walls about breastfeeding and our philosophy and this, that, and the other. Um, Cause I remember my dad walking in and commenting on it. He's like, that's weird. And um, <laughs> like, I understand. I get, this is the way you're trained. I get me. I have to imagine there's gotta be some kind of funding or something that these hospitals are getting, or there's gotta be some kind of kickback or I don't know that um, these people are like pushing this initiative so concretely and so like dramatically, but like it was a terrible experience. It was terrible. So we left, we had a little bit of formula at home um, just through like Infamel sending us, you know, cans of formula and whatever. And they gave us maybe like two, tiny little bottles of pre-made formula so we ended up and we stopped at the store and we bought a bunch of formula and then a couple days late and I kept trying and I kept trying and I was just I remember being up here just weeping because I can't I can't make it work I can't make it work and I'm like feeling myself get emotional um and we were doing the breast pump and like that was working pretty well so we were doing a lot of bottle feedings at that point and plus with the formula so it was like maybe a third whatever breast milk I could get and then two-thirds formula and we were doing that for a couple days um, until I could get into my pediatrician's lactation consultant who was amazing she was phenomenal Um, I got in there and the first thing she said to me she said what are your goals and I said well my goal was to breastfeed but I don't know if that's possible And she said, okay, that's fine. So here's what we're going to do to try to get you to that goal. And here's a bunch of information that we're going to talk about formula. So if you go this way, that's great. If you go this way, you now have the information about formula too. I was like, why couldn't you do this at the hospital? Like, why? Like, why can't you just listen to the mother say, this is what I hope to achieve. However, if that's not possible, here are the tools and knowledge that I had zero of about formula and it's perfectly fine whichever way you choose and here's all your information yeah it just I keep being reminded of this like there's so many issues in parenting and pregnancy that it just it creates this versus and then people get entrenched in their camps and it's just unproductive 
And it, it's just not, I don't think it's a medically sound approach. Uh, I don't think it's taking the mom into consideration at all. Um, and yeah, exactly what this, this final lactation consultant did, that seems like a holistic and baby and mother centric approach, um, that, that, that seems to work. That's good. That doesn't make you feel guilt. It doesn't make you feel shame. And it gives you all the information you need. That's what we're looking for. A a one size fits all is not working. Yeah, it's not, it's not. And to say, you know, that whole idea of like fed is best. I think that's the new thing that's kind of starting to come out a little bit. That's the way it is. Fed is best. Not breast is best. Not formula is best. Fed is best. However, that I love that. Um, Yeah. And it was it was yeah, it was a wonderful experience. She took me in this other room. Um, It was nice and calm and quiet. And she's like, just do what you normally do. And I'll like adjust you and, you know, whatever. And, you know, I put Charlie on the way I've been doing it. And of course she latches immediately and everything's perfect. And I'm like, you little snot. And then the woman walks out and she spits you out. (laughs) Yeah. She's just like, oh, it looks like you've been doing this for weeks. And I said, well, this is the first time it successfully happened. So thank you. Like, of course, Charlie Marie. Um, Yeah. So anyway, uh, let's fast forward a little bit because I feel like this is a very long story. Uh, Fast forwarding. I ended up only making it about three months breastfeeding. Um. Not that Charlie wasn't growing, because she was, um, but she had a lot of colic. She was fussy, um, and I wasn't producing a ton. And, you know, I was, like, pumping at 2 in the morning just to keep my supply up. And I was doing all these things to just keep my supply up. And it was really, it was really wearing on me. And um, I wasn't happy. I hated it. And she didn't seem all that happy either. I mean, she was getting food. I wasn't starving my child. However, like, I just, it wasn't an enjoyable experience for us, which is what you want from breastfeeding. You want this, like, beautiful experience that, you know, you can, like, and I still had those moments, and I still loved those moments with her. And I'm glad I at least was able to do it for three months. Um, But, yeah, I remember uh, there was a day I went, and my husband was, I don't know, he was doing something. And I went up to him and I was just like, and I was talking to him about it for a while now. And I said, please just straight out tell me it is okay to stop breastfeeding. I just need to hear you say it. And he said, yeah, it's okay if you stop breastfeeding. And I was like, okay. And it like, it had to like kill that guilt because I like, I had so much guilt and I was just like, I'm not giving her X, Y, and Z, these auto, you know, these immune um, building proteins and this that and the other and yeah all this shit that you get from breast milk and uh I was gonna deny her of that and start giving her formula and there was the amount of guilt behind that is it's terrible oh my god it's terrible um but yeah after that he was like no it's okay and then I felt better about it and we were doing formula from you know three three and a half months to 12 months. So, yeah. I just love that Mike was just instantly like, dude, it's fine. Yeah. You know, and it, I I so can sympathize with that even though currently I'm able to produce, you know, I don't know what's around the corner. Um, but yeah, it's like as the mother, it's so much more of the onus and the responsibility is put on you. Mm-hmm. Um not just in terms of the patriarchal society that we live in, but also because of the biological fact of us being the ones that produce milk. I remember a friend saying to me, you know, you're tethered to that baby. They are your, you are the food source. And so there is just, and there's just so much more um, kind of responsibility. And then therefore um, just kind of like shame and guilt on you um, and I just love that he was just like, dude, don't worry about it because it's, it's, I would feel the exact same way. I would feel like I'm failing mm-hmm. and how is my partner going to feel about me potentially quote unquote failing the baby? Um, so I just, Mike is great. That's just wonderful. Yeah. While you were talking, just, uh, I looked up while you were talking about the baby friendly hospital initiatives history and I just found it began. In um, 1991, um, 
and it was related again to the World Health Organization. Um, they, the World Health Organization and UNICEF launched the Baby Friendly Hospital Initiative. Um, and it was in order to, um, and it's, it's connected with the International Code of Marketing of Breast Milk mm. Substitutes, which was that um, signed pledge uh, that I talked about that the 118 nations signed. So it's all linked with these kind of like continuing um, global governing bodies that redirect the focus away from formula to breast milk. Um, and it says here that this, this uh, WHO and UNICEF-backed initiative um, gives uh, uh, information and skills to the hospitals um, in order to uh, teach this to new mothers, and it gives hospitals special recognition ah. um, to do so. Um, so... Uh, uh, it seems that there's an uh, an international accreditation, um, and I don't know if there's. My guess is there's there's probably some funding involved with that, um, but yes, there's an accreditation. Um, so at any rate, there's that kind of like feather in your cap that the hospital wears by saying, "Oh, we're WHO baby friendly hospital mm. initiative certified," um, which is at, at the right. very least a marketing tool. Um, even if there's not direct funding associated with it, um, there's definitely that uh, that marketing tool uh, associated with it. So just to answer your kind of query of I wonder how this all got started. Interesting. Um, yeah. Interesting. I knew there had to be something because like why? I mean, obviously there's something behind everything. God, what the fuck kind of ramble was that? I knew there had to be something um, that would push these nurses and these doctors to be so um, almost aggressive with these teachings. Yeah. And, and aggressive physically too. Like the, when you were telling the story about Mary coming in and shoving your tits in Charlie's mouth, I had the same experience, even with these lactation consultants where it was just, I felt so manhandled and animalistic. Like I felt like a cow on the farm being kind of groped and manhandled uh, or woman handled in this scenario uh, by the staff at the hospital. And I'm the first lactation consultant was so rude. And I really, you know, you know, normally I'm the kind of person that gets really snippy with people when they're rude to me. And I was just so exhausted that like, I didn't even. Uh Oh, there's a baby knocking on the door. Charlie girl. Okay. Yeah. But she's tapping, tapping, tapping. What kind I know, of she's gonna okay, go I love you. She wanted... I love you. Baby break. I love you. Okay, I'm so sorry. Go ahead. No, it's okay. Um, do we need to stop? Do you need to go? No, he's putting her down. Do you need to go? Do you need to breastfeed? Okay. No, I, I, maybe I haven't heard anything. Okay. I also am feeling guilty. Maybe we can put this in somewhere because maybe it's relevant. I'm feeling guilty that I'm not waking her up enough to feed. Um, to the point where I like called the lactation consultant again yesterday and was like, I'm not waking her up. She's sleeping. She's magically for the last five nights has slept six or seven hours. Wow. She's not waking me up at all. And I'm just like, okay, great. And so then there's, on the one hand, there's like my mom's generation and like my mother-in-law and my aunt that are like, never wake a sleeping baby. Great. But then there's also like these other people have told me, no, they need to eat every like three to four hours at the most. And so the, the lactation consultant, thankfully, you know, just said, you know, they changed their patterns a lot. They're probably going to switch again. Enjoy this while you can. Um, then, and she's, and then we talked about cluster feeding where it's like, then at night and in the morning, that long sleep is being bookended by like constant feeding where it's like, she's not satisfied every two hours. She's crying again, 30 minutes after I fed her and wants to feed again. So I, she's, I think she's fine. She's gaining weight. Um, I have another doctor appointment this week, so, you know, we'll make sure that she's on track with her weight gain, but, um, yeah, so that lactation consultant was really helpful to me where I was feeling really guilty that I wasn't waking her up to eat. And I was like, selfishly like, yeah, if I can get six hours of sleep, I'm taking my six hours of sleep. Absolutely. Um, before I had the little tap, tap, tap of the baby on the door, you were talking about being manhandled by other lactation consultants. Did you want to finish that statement at all? 
Yeah, I just like, I, I felt that I was being very much condescended to by this particular lactation consultant. They didn't all make me feel this way, but this particular one, um, actually it was a nurse. It wasn't a lactation consultant. It was a nurse, but, um, she just like, she was just grabbing my breast and saying, this is the angle that you have to do it, which was really uncomfortable for me. And it wasn't working. And then I like, she was like, you have to lift it with these fingers. And it was like this one way to do it. And then she's like coming in and moving me around and then trying to express, and it was just, I felt, I never felt like less of a, um, woman than when I was sitting there, um, with my swollen vulva being groped by this, uh, you know, angry nurse and told how to be a woman, you know, and mm. <laughs> it, uh, it, it was just, mm. um, and so they weren't all like that. She in particular was bad. Um, but, uh, yeah, she she pissed Jason off too. He took the role that I usually take, where I get really angry when people are kind of, and I I tend to go off on people, which is not good. But he sort of was like, "Don't talk to her like that," you know. He got, he got kind of mad about it. Um, <laughs> I was too exhausted. See, and that's the role of our husbands. Exact. That's no, and that's exactly why Michael stepped in because I was like, "Okay, discharge me. I don't care," because you're so tired and not really in your right mind. So good for Jason. <laughs> you gotta hit, you gotta step up for your women. You gotta do it. In that sense. Other times we're strong independent women. We got this. Um I kind of wanted to like, we kind of got in a side thing, but I wanted to like switch back and something you were talking about women given formula and then they couldn't afford it. So then they were using substandard formulas. That was that so that was the concern in the late 70s and early 80s by the World Health Organization, especially in less developed countries. Okay. That was the context. Yes. Yeah. So I wanted to do some number crunching because I thought it was very interesting. Um, because one thing we wanted to discuss was the whole idea um that well, formula feeding is just easier. And, you know, you don't even have to like like you don't have to do all the stressors of breastfeeding formula is just easier. And I can tell you, I, I, I'm not poo-pooing on breastfeeding. I understand there's a lot to it and it can be very difficult. So in no way am I poo-pooing on it. However, to say that formula feeding is easier, I do not agree with. Yes. Um, there are, you know, for instance, just whatever it's two in the morning and your baby needs food. You can sit up, whip your boob out, and feed your baby. However, I needed to get my groggy ass downstairs, make a bottle correctly with the right proportions, then warm it up, then get, and another thing that I didn't know about, and call me a bad mom, I don't care, but apparently um, formula isn't sterile. So you're supposed to be boiling your water and then, or like boiling your formula to kill off anything. Oh. But then you have to think that the water has to cool. I, needless to say, as you can tell as I'm talking, I didn't do that. I just gave her, like, it was infant water. It was like, you know, it wasn't tap water or anything. It was infant water. But I didn't boil anything. But apparently you're supposed to boil something. That was something that they kind of deterred me with in the hospital. They were like, well, make sure that you boil this. But, but, but. Like, okay, I got it. I didn't. She's fine. Um. So anyway, yeah, so I have to get my groggy ass downstairs, make this bottle, warm it up, get it back upstairs. Then I got to feed her. Then, you know, burping and whatnot, that's similar. Then I got to get my butt back downstairs because I'm sorry, it stinks. And I would always rinse out the bottles and give them a quick little wash. And then eventually I have to clean them completely. And then I have to sterilize them and then start this whole process over. Like, it's not an easy just here's your food, burping, moving on. Um, there's a process there. There's, and when you're two, four, six in the morning, oh my God, is that the worst thing in the world? Yeah, I can't imagine. Worst thing in the world. I can't imagine because I, when she wakes me up in the night to eat, I'm so tired. Just being woken up from slumber is really, it sucks. And when you've gotten two hours, you know, you're right, you're finally sleeping and then you're woken up. And so even yep. just sitting there, I'm like, my eyes are dropping while I'm trying to feed her. And then I, I've talked to you about this, that feeding in the night 
like there's, you know, there's all this kind of mythology or, or kind of rhetoric around how beautiful breastfeeding is. I, I, I have to say yes. Uh-huh. But also it's boring. Uh, it takes a long time. And especially in the middle of the night, I'm just like staring into space, like waiting for the 15, 20 minutes to be over and be like, are you done yet? It's boring and it's tiring. And so having to actually get out of my bed and do all of these things. No, I do not envy that. That is this, this myth that you're lazy if you're not breastfeeding is a total myth. It is way more work to do formula than it is to breastfeed. Period. Mothers who do formula feeding are not lazy. They're working way harder than the breastfeeding moms are. Period. Sorry. I'll agree with that. (laughs) And then on top of that, um, I was also, like at the beginning, was trying to still supplement with some kind of formula, uh, or sorry, some type of breast milk. And um, so I dragged my ass downstairs every day. I had a little alarm, two in the morning. I'd go downstairs and I'd hook my breast pump up because I didn't want to wake Mike up. Because he had to go to work in the morning and I'd sit there for 20 minutes while my breast pump was going. And then I'd have to take apart my breast pump and clean all those parts and put the breast milk away. Like there was nothing easy about switching to formula. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess in a sense, like emotionally, I was kind of like, ah, I could take a breath. Like I don't have the stressors of trying to produce food for my daughter because I can't do it. I physically couldn't do it, but everything else around it sucked. And, um, like I said, I crunched some numbers and it ain't cheap either. Let's talk about this. Okay. So luckily Charlie, um, was able to just do regular, um, formula. So there are a bunch of different kinds you can have like babies who have sensitivities. There's like soy formulas, there's um, lactose freeze formulas, and then there's like even more specific, like for different allergies and stuff. There's those kind of formulas, which get astronomically more expensive, which I'll talk about. Um, but she was just on the very basic. We did Infamel Gentilese. And um, at the point we were doing the Infamel Gentilese Pro Health or Pro Neuro Pro. Um, for anyone who doesn't know who doesn't breastfeed or sorry, who doesn't formula feed, who has no interaction with formula. Um, a lot of times they will add things into formula to make it more um, consistent or closer to breast milk. Um, so like for the NeuroPro, which again was more expensive, they added things like MFGM, um, which is milk fat globule membrane, um, which apparently is in all breast milk and it's um, linked to brain structure and development and then they also had lactoferrin in it which is a protein that's found in uh, breast milk that aids in digestion there's also iron there's um, vitamin c vitamin e you know they add all these things to more or less like close the gap between formula and breast milk which is great which is phenomenal so Like that at least can get off your brain and think like, oh, you know, I might not be having these little immune boosters or whatever, but more or less everything else is covered. So formula has come a long way in um, that whole aspect. However, you pay for it for sure. So um, even going just from the NeuroPro to down to the basic Gentilese, I think we saved like five bucks, five, six bucks just doing that. So at the beginning we were doing the neuro because I was like, oh, I want to give her all that stuff, all that stuff for her brain, you know, no, no. And then I don't know, we hit six months and she started eating solids and I was like, eh, okay. Um, (laughs) That sounds terrible. Eh, I don't care. Um, And actually our, yeah, a mom I know from grammar school reached out to me and she gave me all this information and I'll share this information for you and always read the back of your labels, of course, but the difference between Infamel Gentilese and um, Target Gentilese and Walmart Gentilese and Sam's Club Gentilese, there is no difference. Hmm. Literally, ingredients are the exact in the exact same order, the exact same percentages. They can't say they're made in the same place, um, but they are identical. Like, even the wording is identical. So... We decided, um, you know, we're on one income, so why not save as much money as we can? So a can 
Okay, how do I want to do this? So a can of Infamil, which we started with, was $25 for 21 ounces. So I did all this math by the largest amount that Charlie was drinking. So by 12 months, she was drinking about 30 ounces a day of formula, Um, about five or six bottles a day. You already have a shocked look on your face. If this can of Infamil was 586 grams for every day I had to use 133 grams to make the formula for the day. So a can of Infamil that was $25 would cost, would last me four days. So I would need about seven and a half cans per month. So I would need, I would be spending about $188 a month if I stuck with those cans. But then we went to Sam's Club, which was a little cheaper. And Um, It was a bigger thing, and that thing was $22, but it could last us 10 days. Oh, that's much better. Yeah, so we're spending $69 a month, but we, again, we were lucky. She kind of did the gentlies and, like, stuck, and she was like, okay, I like this. But a lot of times, that's not the case. You have to try multiple formulas um, because of GERD or reflux or, you know, the baby doesn't like it, whatever. So not only could you be trying all these different ones, you might have to end up on one of these like hypoallergenic formulas. And I got these numbers from, I got all these numbers from Target. Um, but I got this one, um, Neuromic, I'm not even going to pronounce it. It's a hypoallergenic formula with iron by Infamil for 12 ounces, a 12 ounce can that I already said would have last Charlie three days was $35 a can. So all in all, if we did this for nine months, it would have cost us three grand. Oh my God. And when you're, and when you're, and again, like from our context where you have one income, again, it's this like mythology that only rich people have the one income luxury. A lot of times you're taking this big financial hit. And so then if you're also having to, pay for formula it's just it's really a strain on a on a one income household it really is absolutely that was part of the guilt that was also why i needed mike to say it's okay because we're now taking on a finance when something was free we're now taking on this financial i'm not gonna say burden but expense Mm -hmm. to now feed our daughter yeah and and then i wanted to put in not only are you doing that you're also doing bottles and Charlie needed anti-colic bottles. And those are $8 a bottle. Oh. And she went through five or six a day. So, you know, that adds up to $48. And then Wait, every... Were they disposable bottles? No, I'm saying $48, period. Oh, okay. I'm just adding as, like, charges. Yes. Um, compared to someone who would be breastfeeding, wouldn't, yes. wouldn't necessarily need to buy bottles. Um, and then as she got bigger, we had to get bigger bottles. So, again, that was another... And then um, every, I didn't know this, but news to anyone, um, you have to go up in nipple size. So every couple months, the flow is too slow and they get crabby and it's like bad for their jaw. So then I have to buy new nipples. So for my bottles. So then like every couple months I had to spend 15 to $20 on a whole new set of nipples for the bottles that I already bought. So why is it that you need to change uh, the synthetic nipple size, but you're, if you're breastfeeding for a year, you don't change that. I think it's the size because it's like the flow. So, so I don't my know. flow changing when I'm breastfeeding? I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe your body just adapts and like will let down because, you know, you have like the letdown. So maybe like your letdowns are big. I don't know. Another thing for breastfeeding part two, I guess. Right. Right. Oh, yeah. And then here's my two other expenses, which one, anyone who's formula feeding, please, 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 please buy this. Um, It's Dr. Brown's formula mixing pitcher. Oh, my God. Was it the best thing I've ever bought in my life? Dr. Brown. Please sponsor us. I will <laughs> I will rave about this product forever. 
Um, it looks like a French press, more or less. And you can put all your water for the day in it. Like So I would put 30 ounces in it. And I measure out all my scoops. And you can just fresh French press it up and mix it all together and stick it in the fridge. Because formula can last 24 hours in the fridge. Um, and I was able to just portion it all out really quick. Um, eventually, I just portioned out in the bottles. But for a while, I was just pouring it as I needed it. And it saved me like 10, 15 minutes every time. Like, and that doesn't sound like a lot. It's a lot. But it does. Screaming baby. It's a lot. Oh, God, it's a lot. It's a it's lot. So, Three minutes yeah. is a lot when you have a screaming baby. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the last thing that, of course, you need is like a bottle warmer. So, and that's another $40. And then um, I was talking to Liz earlier, and I don't know what the future holds with me and breastfeeding. If uh, when we have baby number two, we can talk about that in a minute if we want to. But if if when we have baby number two, they have this thing, and it's more or less a Keurig for formula. And you just like beep, beep, beep. It's called Breeza Formula Pro Dispenser. I know. I found it on Amazon. and it, But it's $200. Oh, my God. But it's so convenient. I oh, God. I want one. I'm bought, I don't care. I want it. I want it. You know, there's certain things where it's just like you splurge on because it just is so much more convenient. Whereas like I, um, the expensive item I have that I sanitize uh, the nipple shields with is, um, I think it's a baby Brisa too, actually. It's that same brand. It's a, it's a sanitizer. Hmm. And so I don't have to boil water and then make sure everything's dry because it sanitizes and dries. And I love that thing. I run it three times a day at least. Um, it was expensive. It was like a hundred dollars, but I got it as a shower gift. And it's my, it's my favorite thing that I have because boiling water and then leaving things out to dry on one of those little grass mat things on your counter. I just don't want that. And they get gross. We have one and like, I don't know if I'm lazy or what, but I like leave the bottles in there because like, whatever, but they get gross. So like, yeah, I want one of those sanitizers too. (laughs) After you were telling me about them, I'm like, I want that too. (laughs) Favorite thing. Yeah. Oh, love it. Um, yeah. So anyway, the whole idea, and again, I feel bad poo-pooing on breastfeeding mothers, but give formula feeding moms a break. It's not easy. It's such a pain in the ass. Like it's, uh, it's not, it's maybe emotionally easy, but it's not financially easy. It's not time. Uh, it's, there's no time saving to it. If anything, it's longer. There's more steps. There's one, like, so again, let's let's stick with fed is best, not bottle and or breast is best. Just give us a break. It's hard. Yes, yes. totally agree. Totally Ugh. agree. And I think that um, where that begins, I think, is in the culture of the hospital. Um, because when you have an authority figure, uh, either a pediatrician um, or a nurse or a lactation specialist, telling you that there is one route and that is the only acceptable route that creates, there's an authority in your voice at saying that, and that trickles down into the rest of the population and the way that a mom's, uh, whether they're medical specialists or not treat each other. Um, I do think that a move toward fed is best and an informed understanding of why people make the decisions that they do around breastfeeding or around formula feeding is the way that we need to go toward. Um, It is not productive to be making formula fed um, uh, uh, mothers, mothers who choose formula feeding feel guilty. That's not productive. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. I was formula fed. I turned out fine. Exactly. Me too. I mean, Let's let's constitute fine, but I'm good not. <laughs> like I'm I'm cool. Uh, no, and it, like another, and this is just like a random anecdote, and that's fine. But like another thing that kind of sucked is like because uh, breast is best is such like a strong um, uh, movement right now. Um, you see things everywhere. I mean, like Instagram, uh, Pinterest. If you're on Pinterest, any kind of mom blogging. Um, I was even trying to look up stuff for this podcast and I just, what did I, I don't even know what I put in, but it was just about like why I exclusively breastfed, how I exclusively breastfed, how I did it. And it's just like, uh, it, I don't care who you are. It's really hard to read all that kind of stuff. Cause you're like, did I, did I fuck up? Did I like, I know I didn't because she's fine. She's healthy, but like, 
did I make the wrong decision? Like, am I less of a woman? Did I miss out on key experiences? Was there this bonding that I didn't get? Like, I, I don't know. It's, it's, uh, it's a hard decision, but I mean, we, we still bonded. We're, we're good. She's, she's my girl. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, 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 uh, to, um, to go back to this, um, baby friendly initiative. Yeah. I, uh, I found, um, it's this OB's blog and it's called the skeptical OB. And she was actually kind of reviewing this, uh, article that I read and commenting on what she thought about the article. And it was that article, um, from Carter, I mentioned at the top, it had all those kind of historic quotes, um, the one from, uh, ancient Rome and the one from late 18th century. Um, and so her kind of, her addition to this was, she said, um, what is the baby friendly hospital initiative if not an attempt to control women's behavior through various surveillance techniques? The contemporary lactivist project is dystopian in its efforts to indoctrinate, regulate, and measure the behavior of women. It is dystopian in its use of public shaming, mandatory visits of lactation consultants, formula consent forms, and public condemnation of bottle feeding. It is also dystopian in that it flagrantly ignores, indeed denies the existence of, the harms to babies' physical health and women's mental health from equating breastfeeding with good mothering. And so she has this, like, I I think she just articulates so well um, the way in which it is. It feels like this um, sort of dystopian surveillance technique where you have all of these powers that be that are telling you how to be a mother. um, And, and it really, um, you know, just denies any kind of this thing that we've been talking about where, well, shaming moms is not useful either. Uh, That's not helping anything. Um, And so it just seems like our entire medical complex is set up to regulate um, our behavior into this breast is best uh, ideology. That I love that. Oh, she put it so well. Oh, that's perfect. And you're right. It's it 100% is down to like the medical professionals in the medical field, because you go into the hospital, you go to your pediatrician, you go to your doctor and you think that they know best. You think that whatever they're going to say there, there is, there has to be science behind it. Why would they steer me wrong? And in turn, they're just creating a culture of setting women up to fail. And how is that acceptable? How is that okay? Like, why can't we just adapt the whole idea that if you want to breastfeed, here are all the benefits for breastfeeding. If you want a formula feed, that is also good. Look at all these steps that these formula companies have made to try to synthesize something that is as close to the breast milk as possible. So either way, you're not going to be a bad mom, whether you breastfeed or whether you formula feed, you're feeding your baby. You're making sure your baby grows, is happy, your baby is thriving, which is what the bottom line is. So the medical, like medical professionals, medical industry, like knock it the fuck off, like just adapt this whole thing. And oh, like part of me, just to go back to everything, like part of me was so excited when I was like, Ooh, a baby friendly hospital. This is going to be great. I want to breastfeed. This is going to be a wonderful experience. They have so much knowledge. And it was a nightmare. It was a nightmare. Like up until everything, you know, labor and delivery had its own struggles or whatever, but it was a great experience. It was the aftercare. It was the breastfeeding. It was everything that had to do with that was a nightmare. And that's terrible. That's not how it's supposed to be. And like, I kind of don't want to deliver in a baby-friendly hospital next mm-hmm. time. Like, I would really love to not have that pressure. I think it's so interesting because my hospital wasn't explicitly a baby-friendly hospital. And yet, did some things that were more baby-friendly, I think, than your purportedly baby-friendly hospital did. Absolutely. Like, when you were talking about your breast shield, I was, they gave me this thing it was like Michael called them my boob hats. They were like, they look like flying saucers almost. I don't even know how to explain this, but it was like a little saucer, plastic saucer, hard plastic saucer. And it had a hole cut out. So you'd put that over your nipple in the hopes that it would like pull your nipple outward. Huh. 
to like create like a more erect nipple to help with feeding. And it did shit. Let's just say that. Um, it hurt because it was made of hard plastic on a very sensitive nipple. So that was terrible. And I do wonder if they were to have given me just like that silicone breast shield or, you know, nipple shield like you got, like, I really do wonder if things would have been different. I wonder if we would have had success. Yeah. And it's just, yeah, it's just to say that they're, they're denying people interventions that might work does not feel helpful. Exactly. Talk to the mom. I feel like there should not only be baby friendly hospitals, but should be mom and baby friendly hospitals. Uh, Again, this idea that the mother is just considered the sacrificial cow uh, for the, you know, thriving of the calf is really problematic. And again, not just because, you know, we should practice self-care and be a little selfish sometimes that that's okay, but also because this is a symbiotic relationship. And if I am depressed or if I feel inadequate or if I don't take any time to sleep, uh, that's not good for baby either. Um, So how do we refocus to be mom and baby friendly hospitals um, and and mom and baby friendly societies generally and not just all about the baby? Because it's really neglecting 50% of the equation, frankly. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, And in terms, I mean, realistically, in terms of what your numbers, would it only benefit your numbers if your initiative was to have breastfeeding be like the dominant form of feeding, having a more like, uh, Conducive. I would say conducive. Yeah. Um, relationship and any kind of aid that the, like it would only boost your numbers because you're in turn mothers would be more successful. I don't understand it. Yeah. And it's like, I, the whole thing with the medical establishment that we're being like very critical of, and we have throughout this podcast, really, it's just, it's not only them. I'm not saying that like, oh, we're giving them a bad rap. I do think a critique of the medical establishment is appropriate. Um, I, I read this other really great article. It was called big mother, you know, it's kind of punning on big brother. Um, and so it's big mother breastfeeding rhetoric and the panopticon in popular culture, 1700 to present. So the panopticon is, uh, a philosophical critique from my favorite philosopher. He's this guy, Michel Foucault. And maybe you've, uh, I've definitely been thinking about him throughout this podcast a lot because a lot of the things he's kind of really predominant in critiquing the medical establishment as this kind of authority that conducts our ideology and conducts our behavior. Um, And so what this philosopher was talking about was she is this Foucauldian scholar. So she's well aware of how ideology and medical establishment controls our behavior. And yet she too felt like a totally inadequate mother every time she's sitting in her office pumping. She was like, why am I not, you know, this Mary Cassatt painting from my OBGYN's office, just with, you know, voluptuous breasts that are flowing into my daughter's mouth and we're looking into each other's eyes. Why am I not doing that? And I don't feel like a mother. I feel like a cyborg when I'm sitting in my office pumping. Um, And she, she talks about, she invokes like Foucault's very famous panopticon. So the panopticon is this, um, it's, it's, uh, it's an architectural prison. Okay. And so how it works is there's a, there's a, a guard tower and the guard tower is designed so that it can see into every prison cell at all times, but the prisoners can't see if there's actually anyone in the guard tower. And so it creates the psychological effect, this prison design, it creates the psychological effect where whether or not someone is watching you, you behave as if they are, because you can't tell if they are. And so he uses this as a kind of um, uh, way in which to talk about the way society is organized, where you feel like eyes are on you at all times, whether or not they are. And so she talked about like, it's not just the doctor. So it doesn't just take place there. You also feel like when you're, for instance, she uses the example of the guilt she felt whenever she pulled a bottle out of her diaper bag to feed in public. And it's like, who is watching me and who is judging me? And maybe no one is, but you in your mind, because of the ideology in the society that breast is best, 
still, and even she who studies this stuff and believes that this is all ideology and understands the way that this is used to control people, even she is feeling guilt when she just pulls the bottle out of the bag. And when she goes to the grocery store and puts the can of formula on the conveyor belt, is the bagger and the grocery store clerk judging me? Um, and maybe they are, and maybe they aren't. But there's this way in which the ideology exists just like this perceived prison tower and you are this like inmate trapped by it because you just feel at all times that in any way you're being judged. Um, and so it isn't just the medical establishment. It's the way in which the rhetoric of the medical establishment seeps throughout society and then becomes a source of judgment wherever you go. Yes. Beautifully put. 100%. Beautiful. Yes. Yeah. So that was a great article um, uh, if you're interested. And she had this whole beautiful narrative of like what she's supposed to do and like how her breastfeeding experience went. And it was a really great article. I'm probably going to um, read it later. Let's, let's be honest. Yeah. That yeah. sounds great. Oh, wow. Uh, is there anything else you want to touch? Cause I feel like, um, I mean, this last half, we did talk a lot about uh, formula is there anything else you want to talk about breastfeeding? Anything um, you're excited about, you're experiencing? You haven't breastfed in public, um, obviously because of COVID. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, um, I appreciate that I haven't had to worry about breastfeeding in public um, just because I know that, again, it's like it's the panopticon that I would feel... Um, uh, like people were saying, oh, you know, which is something we talked about at the top of the podcast where it's like, um, what, you know, ew, why does she have to do that in public? You know, there's this kind of idea that it's gross um, or at the other end of the spectrum fetishized, you know, it's like, it just feels uncomfortable. Uh, I feel uncomfortable doing it. Um, and so thankfully that's one upside of uh, of quarantine is that that just hasn't had to happen for me. Um, just one other thing about like just my body where this, I was telling you this last week, it's like, if I try and shower in the morning before Margot gets up, like if I try and sneak in a shower, I have often had to cut my shower short to go get Margot and feed her because my breasts are just leaking breast milk all over myself. And so I can't, I can't even like get into clean clothes. Cause I'm just, I have breast milk everywhere. Um, and so it's just like, it's just one of those things that they don't tell you about or that you never realize where I'm just, um, again, I feel like an animal. It feels animal. It feels like I am uncivilized. You know, it's like I'm losing a part of my, you know, civilized humanity because I'm just leaking breast milk everywhere. I'm going through these disposable um, nipple pads like there's no tomorrow. I think I'm on box number two already and there's a hundred in a box, you know, and uh, I, I, she's only four weeks old. So you're just going through these constantly. And it just, um, it's just this whole other layer of body maintenance and like having to adjust to your body postpartum um, that comes with breastfeeding. That's just, it's fine. It's manageable in every way, but it's just like when you feel your tender breasts, just leaking milk, you just feel like a cow. Uh, yeah, I, I don't even know where to go from that. I have a, I did have to breastfeed in public only a couple times. And I'm, I don't know how I feel about it. So we went to a Renaissance fair and Charlie was very little and it was when I was still breastfeeding. And um, I was grateful because they had an area in which women could go to breastfeed. It was just sort of funnily ironic it's like I don't think that existed during the renaissance or maybe women were just breastfeeding in public during the renaissance you know what I mean it's like <laughs> it's actually perfectly in keeping just whip it out it's the renaissance no one yeah yeah so realistically yeah if that was my option uh I'm just fitting into the times like what do you you know um however I didn't feel comfortable um, cause I think it was my first and one of only few instances where I did breastfeed in public. Um, so I was all excited. I was like, yay, there's a, there's a designated place where you can go. And then I finally get there and it's this little like corner in the back by this kid zone. There's like a disgusting porta potty right outside the door. 
And thankfully it was uh, AC and there was another mom in there and you, it was just like plywood benches and you just sat there. And that, I mean, that was it. There was some plywood benches, an AC, and there were two changing stations that like came down from the wall that if you had to change them afterwards or whatever. And looking back on it, I was like, wow, that is a depressing state. Like that is sad that I was so happy that that was my option. <laughs> yeah. It's like the most rudimentary structure you can imagine. And it's like, yes. And it was depressing and stinky. And I was like, huzzah, I don't have to breastfeed in public. What is that portraying? What does that say? Again, you just said it. Like you would feel that you have these eyes on you and people would be judging you and saying, ugh, gross. Why is she doing that in public? But then our other option is to go in this stinky porta potty ish area that I was so happy to have mm-hmm. other moms were in there just breastfeeding like openly. So I was like, ah, whatever, you know? Um, so in that sense, it was great. But in the other sense, it's like, what are we, what are we even uh, giving our mothers in the first place? Like, okay, we acknowledge that this is kind of awkward and we don't necessarily want to see it. So here's this little corner. And I just, it's, I'm so curious because it's not really been on my radar at all because of course I am a brand new mother and this has happened during coronavirus, but are there lots of like breastfeeding spaces in the public? Because I feel completely unaware of them. Like it, it, what if I have to send, what if I start leaking at the grocery store and my daughter just is screaming bloody murder? Is my option get in the car and get home? The bathroom, right. There's nothing at the grocery store. Bathroom. Where else do I go? I'm such a homebody. It's like, I don't even imagine. Or it's also coronavirus. I don't even know where I go anymore other than the grocery store. I I know at Bye Bye Baby, they have a breastfeeding room. I don't know. What about at the mall? Like at the mall, does there tend to be a breastfeeding space? There's like family bathrooms. Because then you think, of course, there's always workers at the mall. And so where are they going? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I just, I don't know where, like, how friendly are public spaces to breastfeeding mothers? I don't know. I'm assuming not great. Yeah. Or park, like parks. That seems like another place where it's like, maybe there ought to be a space for you to go. Even if it was a clabbered, you know, plywood, you know, maybe I'd like it. At least it's something. I have to tell you, I was really happy about that in retrospect. But but then it brings up the whole thing. Well, you've got those you've got those breastfeeding shields. Why don't you just use one of those modest breastfeeding shields that are the biggest pain in the ass I have ever had in my life? Like, because not only are you trying to you're out in public, so you don't have a pillow or a boppy or things that you might be comfortable using. So you're trying to, like, get your baby in this position, you know, and then you've got this stupid blanket that's over here and you're trying to look in there and get the blanket right now I know it gets easier with time and babies just kind of like latch on easier as they get older like at the beginning that's cumbersome Mm -hmm. as hell so yeah why use that why just you know do what you would do at home take your breast out feed your baby again it's not a sexualized Mm -hmm. thing it shouldn't be a sexualized thing which goes back to the top of the two hours yeah but it's like we don't build a space that's conducive for it yeah your best option then in most public spaces that aren't your job where they're federally mandated to provide you a space is to put a blanket over yourself awkwardly and sit on a bench somewhere Uh, that's your best uh, you know so you got to find a bench uh you got to hope that there's ac hope it's not you know so hot out as you put this blanket over your body so that you shield yourself and your baby and to shield yourself from alternatively judging or fetishized eyes that i don't want you looking at me while i'm doing this um yeah yeah uh your best option is a public bench that's really i think your best option because i i don't yeah or a bathroom which is gross and there's nowhere to sit in a bathroom. What am I sitting on a toilet? What I'm standing and breastfeeding in a public restaurant. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Your best option is a public bench. And that's not a great yeah. option. It's lose, lose, lose. It's lose, lose because, you know, you're out in public and you're being indecent. It's lose, lose because mm-hmm. you have, you know, you can't find a space to even do it in a discreet way if you wanted to. And it's lose, lose if you pull a bottle out and you feed your baby by a bottle because how dare you do that? You're not breastfeeding. Right. So more or less, we just lose. Yeah. Yeah. 
I think porta potty should. And by the way, you need to pay me for this porta potty. I think that they're uh, they need to expand their um, the structures they create to have public uh, little breastfeeding mock setups. That'd be great. Know, you're welcome, and I expect payment. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they should. There should be little pop up areas in public spaces for uh, moms to breastfeed, and there would be a changing table, and uh, it would be a little air conditioned unit, or maybe a fan at the very least, and it would provide you. You know, you could wash your hands and a seat. Yes, yes, ventilation. Yes, and and privacy. Yeah, porta potty. We are the seven day work week. Uh, we expect payment. Yeah, and uh, this was created. Of course, this is dated, but this was uh, September seventh, twenty twenty. So I've, I've just <laughs> dated it, so you can't steal it from me, right? Oh, uh, that would be great. I never even thought of that. Yeah. Like, because I mean, what? What more is a porta potty? Just take the take the potty part yes. out. Yeah. Okay. Um, anything else you want to talk about? Anything? I mean, again, uh, in the comments or any way you want to communicate with us, if you would like us to do a second breastfeeding formula feeding um, podcast, we're happy to. I think there's a lot of stuff we brought up that we can definitely do more research on and touch on. So yeah, anything else you want to add? No, thank you so much for listening. Yes. I think that's it. Yeah. So we are the seven day work week. We are available um, pretty much any major platform that you listen to podcasts. Just search for the seven day work week and we will more than likely pop up. And we're also on Twitter and Instagram at seven day work week pod. So if you ever want to interact with us or get updates on upcoming podcasts or anything like that, that's the best way to get in touch with us. Thank you. Bye. Bye.